Welcome to Intelligent Automation in Government. From chatbots to robots to AI, panel discussion sponsored by KPMG. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Jeff Allstott. He's Program Manager at the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity. Robin Tottengall is Chief Data Scientist at the EPA. Linda Williams is Deputy Director for Strategic Technology and Investment at the Defense Logistics Agency. And Kirk Everson is Managing Director of Federal Advisory Practice at KPMG. It's good to have you all. And our general topic today is intelligent automation, and there are lots of sub-technologies that feed into that. And in, in, in one sense, the first transistor that ever turned a switch was the first beginning of automation of something that someone didn't have to push a pencil to do. Today we have billions of transistors in small boxes that can do a lot more than those initial ones could do. And so given the fact that the uh, president's management agenda is calling for the automation of the types of tasks that are drudgery and boring tasks for federal employees, freeing them to do higher level work and use their brains in really a much more creative way that it's not to get rid of them, but to have them do better work. And then we have the modernization drive, backed by Congress, backed by the administration, several administrations, truth be told. And so in that context, we're gonna talk about these types of technology. So I guess my first question, and we'll start with you, Linda, is given these contexts and the availability of these technologies for automation of tasks and data analysis, what are you looking at at DLA? Where do you, where do you see your, your work going? So, at th by the way, thank you for having us. Um, at DLA, we're looking at a wide range of opportunities. Uh, we have several projects that we're working in robotic process automation, which, as you said, is taking those mundane, routine tasks and having a, a computerized bot do those. Uh, we also have uh, chat bots that we've started to investigate. We have a pilot project going on with that where we've instituted a chat, chat bot to help us with our help desk. Um, so that would be your own users calling in for information. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, the other area that we're looking at into is uh, artificial intelligence. Of course, we're targeting the uh, data mining and predictive analytics. Uh, we have a lot of data out there on uh, usage and back orders and needs, and so we're trying to get our arms around all the data that we have to make better business decisions in support of the warfighter. So it's not just necessarily a matter of not running out of stock but also managing the costs and acquisitions in a way to maintain that stock in the most efficient way. In the most efficient way, exactly. We could spend a lot of money and have a lot of stock and have 100% order fulfillment, but we'd be wasting a lot of money. Sure, got it, okay. Uh, Robin, you're all about data. <laughs> So uh, thanks for having me. And the EPA is all about that. Uh, yes, we are still here. We are still protecting the environment. So you know, uh, thanks for having me here. I think uh, when I think about the whole AI and the robotic process automation, I want to split this into a couple of different buckets, right? So that we can we can have a clear understanding. I think what I'm what I'm hearing is there is a impact of using robotic process automation for some of these administrative works that we have. For example, reviewing our contracts or looking at some of our processes that is repeatable most of the time, right? So I can see computers taking over some aspects of that processes to be more automated by using a uh, computer or some kind of a machine, um, AI, uh, AI based machine, right? Mm -hmm. Now, when I think about the whole a artificial intelligence, and I think this this keyword needs to be defined too, right? People talk about artificial intelligence, then they go and talk about machine learning, they go and talk about deep neural networks, right? So they, if you look at the entire class, it basically fits within AI. Now, what we are seeing there is, AI can improve the efficiency of the agency to do their work, right? For example, they may not be able to replace a scientist. But what we could do is we can use AI-based systems to help the scientists to say that, look, you know, of the entire United States, these are the areas that you need to focus on a specific problem you are working on. So I think that is the benefit that I see with respect to artificial intelligence becoming more and more prominent within the agency, right? Now, another aspect of uh, AI is going to be like, you know, AI gives you data sets in still raw format. So what we are doing at the agency is starting to think about how can we make the data that is coming out of these systems to be more useful for decision makers? So that feeds into the whole idea of data visualization platforms, uh, geospatial analytical platforms. So we are also building systems in the agency to make sure that 
the, the, the penetration of AI is not being used properly because there is not a way for the decision makers to look at the data, right? For example, for a geek like me, I will be happy to see the output from AI. But for, you know, a senior level executive, he is like, I don't get this, right? So we are trying to make sure that there is actually a way for the data scientists like me to tell the story. So I think that is where I would put the spectrum. Robotic process automation helping us to look at these problems from sure. how can we improve our contracting, how can we improve our processes that are repeatable, then using AI to improve the efficiency of the agency. Yeah, so what you're saying is that in, in a sense, AI is a form of automation. The machine is doing something automatically, but that doesn't make it necessarily useful or transparent. Yes, so you need still a human to come in and say that, okay, this is what we did, and this is how the output is, right? I think, you know, if I want to throw out an example there, uh, there was there was a famous case what people talked about. There is an AI system that was designed to identify wolf versus dogs. Right? When the system was built, it was fine, but what ended up happening was, what the system was learning was identifying snow versus not a snow situation. Because if you look at all the pictures that was used for training the AI system, all the pictures of wolf had a snow in the background. All the pictures of the dog didn't have a snow in the background. So what AI did was, it figured out that if it's a wolf, there is snow in the background. So what ended up happening was when the system go into production, it will say if it's not a wolf or a dog because it does not, it, it hasn't captured the right characteristics. So I see that AI is good, but we need to have people who understands how to train the system and make sure that it is functioning in the right way. So I think there is still people needed in some of these things. And make sure you really show it a cold yes. chihuahua yes. somewhere outside. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jeff Iarpa looks across so many domains within the vast mm -hmm. intelligence community. What are some of the bot type of uh, efforts you're looking at. Yeah, so uh, at IARPA we serve the intelligence community and the intelligence community just like all other parts of government or large organizations has plenty of bureaucratic or administrative processes that uh, can be improved through automation. That uh, is things that we would very much like to be consumers of at IARPA, but it's not the area that we're developing capabilities, right? We're developing capabilities that are more IC specific, and so this is primarily about information processing. This is primarily where our areas of automation or AI start to show up. So we have programs uh, such as Janus, which is uh, about face uh, recognition and then identification that would help an analyst be able to sift through a large quantity of video looking for particular bad folks, right? Whereas previously that would have been thousands of person hours. Now it could be maybe done in one. Uh, similarly with other uh, biometrics, we have the Odin program. When it comes to fancier forms of um, video analytics, we have Diva, which is about a multi-video stream analysis. So you have something like a guy with a backpack shows up in this video stream and then later he doesn't have the backpack. That's an event that a human would be able to uh, understand some possible significance to. Can we train an AI to do that? And then there are other areas. So for example, IARPA has been involved in geopolitical forecasting for a while. We've had a lot of great successes about helping uh, people develop mental habits that help them forecast the future better, be that you know, uh, whether there'll be civil unrest in a particular society or, or something like that. So we have a program right now called HFC, which is about bringing machines into that mix and are there ways to uh, bring automated methods to sort of aggregate and assist these humans making these judgments so that we can get those analyses and those forecasts faster. So these are just some of the things that we do for automation of trying to improve information processing and speed up that process. And just to follow up on what you said in the beginning was the amount of administrative process that right. everybody is burdened with. Sure. Would it not be useful to also automate those in some manner just to free up the analysts so they spend less of their day oh, dealing yeah. with payroll and whatever it is they do. Everyone has paperwork, everyone has payroll, right? And there's certainly lots of low-hanging fruit to improve those processes both in the public sector and in the private sector. Absolutely agreed. So, well, maybe OM, OPM will do that and you can just use the solution rather than devote IARPA. Right, so there's a issue within private sector versus public sector of the uh, speed at which we're able to bring in new bureaucratic innovations, right? and uh, the different sorts of requirements we have uh, upon ourselves for uh, how our bureaucracies are formed. And so those are things that I expect we will be having a lot of progress on in the next several years. Certainly some organizations, some parts of government have made big advances there. Whether or not this is gonna be something that stems from OMB, I'm not sure. 
Um, but in terms of the technical capabilities, right, that is probably going to be stood up first in the private sector simply because they have the uh, ability to go fast, right, be able sure, to yeah. change their own bureaucratic processes uh, just as soon as there's apparent profit incentive for doing so. Yeah, which brings up a good point. There's that decision point you have to make, can this be fulfilled commercially versus is it something we need to develop because of the uniqueness of what we're doing. I think probably all three of these agencies have a really good mix of both, fair to say. Okay. Kirk, you've talked about this quite a bit, and you're no newcomer to the whole in intelligent automation idea. Give us what it looks like from your perspective looking across the federal government. Yeah, th again, thanks for, for having me here, Tom. I, you know, I think uh, every everything that was said is, is is right on. I mean, you know, and automation is not new. RPA is not new. It was actually born decades ago. Um, but but now with the advent of, of cloud compute, elastic compute, um, you know, accessible APIs and things like that, you're really finding these these platforms evolving in, in a more accessible way for for agencies to now take take part in. Uh, commercial has been doing this for some time, uh, but in my opinion, the opportunities in government are, are boundless. Um, because if you think about what commercial entities did years ago, they offshored a lot of their um, their administrative, if you will, to to uh, lower income based countries to reap those efficiencies uh, through offshoring. Well, the government never had that luxury slash option to do so, and so now the government is faced with the same increased demands as populations increase, and the services are, are, are expected to be done in a timely manner. Um, but but they're dealing with this in a very constrained environment, with budgets being cut, with with you know hiring freezes that have been in the past, uh, retirements looming, and so agencies are at a tipping point where they really have to consider other options than just throwing bodies at a problem. Um, because you know the, the value-added work in some cases is not getting done. They're just focused on trying to keep the lights on and and and, and keep keep the ball rolling. And so, intelligent automation, you know, in in my opinion, and what I'm seeing across government is is really a, 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 a factor in their in their digital transformation. Um, you know, and it's not just robotics process automation. It goes all the way up the the stack, if you will. Um, you know, what we did at, at, at KPMG is we said. Uh, and, and Robin, you hit the nail on the head. There's so many different terms out there, and there's so many different understandings of, of what AI and IA is. And so we, we kind of broke it down into into three different categories or classes to make sure that that agencies understood and we understood the right capabilities to apply to the right use case. And so, you know, the robotics process automation that's really the arms and the legs of the worker. You know, the basic process automation uh, where you're essentially, as you said, Tom, automating the the, the administrative, the things that are very routine, mundane. And then when you start to add natural language processing, unstructured data, then you get into that second class of automation where you're really looking to, to add a bit more intelligence and learning assist to, to, to some of the solutions. And then the third class is really that artificial intelligence, the machine learning, the neural networks, the unstructured data where you have to have uh, a really an outcome-based approach to really understand what you're trying to get to. Because a lot of agencies, they want, they know they need to do this automation, uh, but they don't know where to get started. And so, you know, to, to start with something in a class three realm is a very, very big endeavor. You have to have data scientists, you have to have a data strategy, you have to have the right data sets to be able to, to access. Whereas on the class one side, the RPA side, a lot of agencies are getting their journey started there where, hey, I, I've got a unique set of problems that I think are very process-driven, transactional. Um, I'm throwing you know people at this when it really shouldn't be. Maybe we start our automation journey there. And so I, we're seeing a lot of agencies starting to come out now, asking industry for inputs, putting out RFPs now, uh, for, for at least for RPA and in some cases uh, AI. But uh, so so we're, last year was more about awareness. I think this year government agencies are, are saying, yep, we got it, we understand it, we want to move out, we want to make sure we do it in a measured and, and effective in a way that it's governed and it meets the governance needs to, to get these, these systems online. Sure, and uh, looking at the class kind of uh, sets that you've created, the buckets for the different levels of, uh, of this uh, intelligent automation, it strikes me that as the higher you move up the chain to class three, where it's very close to the mission, you need a team really to decide what are we going to do here, why do we need to do this, and then what are the data sets and then the decisions on that, you know, derive from what from that decision. So I guess in the time we have in this segment, why don't we ask you, Linda, who, who's on the team when you have a higher level, say, what uh, Kirk would call a class three application of intelligent automation, who's part of that whole team? 
So we have, uh, obviously we have the information operations, the technical folks have to be on that team, but really we're not driving that conversation. The, it's up to the business, it's up to our, our functional users to define what the problem is that we really need to use the AI to address. And I think that's one area where we're developing those scenarios, trying to solidly talk about what problem are we trying to resolve before we try to start applying artificial intelligence to it. Um, as I mentioned, back orders, we, we sometimes deal with back orders at DLA, and uh, that's one area where we want to get our arms around it. How can we solve that without just building an inventory of stock? Uh, so we're looking at the data that we have. We have you know years of data of, of uh, transactions that we've done, and pulling that into what's the right answer? When do we order this? What is our lead time? And how quickly can we get it to support our customer, who is our military services? And it could be, in that case, even your trading partners, your industry suppliers, could be part of that whole thinking Absolutely. process. Absolutely. All right, we're going to continue on that thread. Right now, we're going to take a short break. My guests today are Jeff Allstock. He's Program Manager at the Intelligence Advanced Research Project Activity. Robin Tottengold is Chief Data Scientist at the EPA. Linda Williams is Deputy Director for Strategic Technology and Investment at the Defense Logistics Agency. And Kirk Everson, Managing Director for Federal Advisory Practice at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is Intelligent Automation in Government, from chatbots to robots to AI, sponsored by KPMG here on federalnewsradio.com and Federal News Radio 1500 AM. Disruption waits for no one. So what exactly are you waiting for? At KPMG, we help government agencies embrace new technologies and implement agile operations to meet the needs of a rapidly changing world. We help organizations advance in areas like digital transformation, cognitive analytics, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and much more. It's time to turn today's challenges into tomorrow's opportunities. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. Welcome back to this panel discussion is Intelligent Automation in Government from Chatbots to Robots to AI, sponsored by KPMG here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guests today are Kirk Everson, Managing Director of Federal Advisory Practice at KPMG. Linda Williams is Deputy Director for Strategic Technology and Investment at the Defense Logistics Agency. Robin Tottengall is the Chief Data Scientist at the EPA. And Dr. Jeff Alstott is Program Manager at the Intelligence Advanced Research Project Activity. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And before the break, we were talking about who should be involved in this. And Given some of the examples you mentioned, like the data sets of the dogs and the wolves, it seems to me, and I'm speaking to a chief data scientist here, Robin, that the data selection and who has knowledge of what the data assets are that might be brought to bear on this problem should be part of that team. Yes, definitely. And I think, you know, Linda mentioned that, you know, when you look at these problems, it's not only really the technology side of the folks coming together to solve the problem, is right? Because we need to bring in the people who have the programmatic experience. So if you are continuing on the previous thread of, you know, how do we define a true team that is going to be able to solve these problems, the usual strategy is, my team has some data science experience because we have folks who understand some of these algorithms, who, who, who understands how to use some of these upcoming technologies like cloud computing to deploy and solve these issues, right? But what we end up doing is we will have a discussion with the program office and start trying to understand what is your real business problem or what is the real programmatic issue that you're trying to trying to solve and do not worry about the technology or the data science aspect of it we will we will get to that but what we want to know is an understanding of how do you do this right i mean so it's almost like the idea of the user centered design or design thinking where you take you basically go through a journey with the clients or with the program office to understand what is your day to day problem so that we get a picture of it and then come back as a data science team to figure out, okay, if this is your problem, how do we break that down in the world of mathematics or statistics, and how can we solve that? That's the way it applies. And usually, and DJ Patel used to say this from the uh, the former White House chief data scientist, right? Data science is a team sport. So always make sure that it's not your smartest data scientist picking an algorithm. Maybe we will go for this. And most of the time, what we have seen is simple mathematical models work better 
than complex models, right? So that is the important part. Like you have to talk to the program office, try to understand what their problem is, and then you bring in the data scientist to solve it. So that's basically the strategy that we take. Sure, okay, and uh, Jeff, you have data scientists in there, uh, in IARPA, and you're the project manager, I guess, for some of these uh, problems. But you mentioned one that seemed to be like, to me, the toughest problem of all to ever solve, and that's geopolitical forecasting. Sure. I mean, we might have, you know, we might have guessed that perhaps a North Korean summit may or may not come off. You know, this, mm -hmm. these things are not hard for the layman to understand, but really, uh, th that seems like probably one of the toughest problems possible with so many variables. So the question is, who do you pull together, and what is the business problem? I mean. Tell us more about that problem and, and who can help solve it. Right, so uh, IARPA has had a, a strategy for solving it. So IARPA has had a, a suite of programs over the years uh, about the techniques available to people in order to help their thinking in order to make them uh, more accurate at forecasting. So things like thinking in terms of probabilities, updating in response to weak evidence that's not conclusive but does point in a direction. Um, ways of aggregating opinions and having people bet against each other in order to um, really uh, make people's make people put their reputation where their mouth is, things like this. But for the current effort, uh, which is about using automation methods in order to speed up or or, or grow that process, uh, again, yes, we have data scientists in the loop, and so they're are people who are, say, political science experts or economics experts or who are just good at reading the news and coming up with forecasts that are accurate. But you also need to bring in these uh, data scientists if you want to automate this process. And so you really want to have, as uh, Robin mentioned, the there's often the case where people want just the data scientists to come in and solve all the problems, right? But they are coming into some domain in which there are domain experts. And so you really need these two groups to be talking with each other and working hand in hand. And so I don't know what the status of our current performers uh, is on this, but I would bet uh, a considerable amount of money that our performers that are doing the best are those that have their data scientists at least aware of the domains that they're trying to aggregate uh, opinions on so that they have some input as to what relevant data might be and so on, right? Because it is often the case that a data scientist operating completely without um, much domain expert input will float off into space. And I've done this myself in the past uh, be before I uh, got some experience. So having that coupling is really important. And Kirk, it strikes me then, given all that we've heard about you know, who's involved, that there must be an iterative quality to this whole process. Because if you're testing something where you want a an outcome and you know what your inputs are, uh, it seems like there's a way to test your artificial intelligence and cognitive learning systems so that you know that if you put a black marble in, a black marble is going to come out the other side. Well, I think Robin brought that point up before where, where you're really looking at uh, humans validating essentially what the algorithms are doing for you. Um, I, I think that's ex extremely critical e even in the front end when you're training the AI because you really need human interaction uh, from, from experts uh, considering, too, that you may have some training bias as well that you have to consider. And so if you've got folks involved in training that algorithm that are from a certain area of, of the agency, they may not consider the objectives or, or the considerations of another area of the agency or another part of the mission. And so avoiding training bias by having a, a, a team that is, is cross-enterprise is important to be able to, to, to allow for that AI algorithm to, to, to have a fulsome uh, response and and the more that you train it, the more the confidence intervals will increase. Because uh, you know a lot of a lot of misconceptions around AI was I just plug in this black box, throw my data in there, and it kind of figures it out, right? And and that's not the case. I mean, there's a lot of really 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 creative marketing out there that you see on TV, but that's not how it works in reality, right? Uh, you really have to um, have a data strategy. You have to have a team of data scientists. You have to have a team of programmatic experts, and frankly, evangelists as part of your team because. You know, it's good to start small, and a lot of agencies are starting small with pilot projects. But the next step is to evangelize the successes of that project. And so, you know, if you don't have the ability to evangelize and have that that kind of buy-in from senior leadership, you know, you could do all the testing in the world and have a very accurate response and a very accurate um, uh, output. But 
nowhere for it to go. So I think it's important that you have a team that, that has that programmatic expertise, understands the mission across the enterprise, can train that data from that perspective, but also be able to take the results of that proof of concept to, to the higher, higher powers that be, if you will, to say, look, this works, here's the ROI I got out of this, and here's how we can apply this to the pain points in the agency. Sure, and that all gets to the issue of the workforce because you know, we have data scientists, we have PhD program managers, we have people that know logistics inside out and the technologies that run them, but yet somehow there's a, an ingredient of uh, say at the program level or the business office level where they need to neither be Luddites and say, look, I've been doing this all my life, I don't know machines gonna help me, or people that say, I need a magic box that's gonna help me do my job or do my job. So you need some sophistication at that level, but you also need specific skill sets, it seems, in government, even if you turn a lot of the developmental work to contractors, which makes sense for a lot of agencies, you still need someone in the agency that knows what they're doing to deal with it. So talk about the workforce issues and as you look toward finding people in the budget constraints we all have, what you're looking for and what some of the gaps are skills-wise. So first I'd like to say that's, I think that's one reason that at DLA we're, we're targeting that robotic process automation, RPA, initially. There's a quick return on investment and the skill sets that are required are not that different that we, than we already have in-house. Um, the, the different vendors that are out there that provide RPA have made it very user-friendly. You don't have to be a traditional programmer or developer to actually program a process in. So in bringing in the technology, I think we're, we're okay with our skill sets. And as those processes are automated, it essentially what we're doing is we're allowing the worker to be upscaled. Mm -hmm. No longer do they have to do that repetitive, redundant, usually boring work that they've spent a lot of their time on. Now they can pivot and work on either things that they've that, that are important but not urgent, that they haven't been getting to, or they're looking at more complex value-added tasks that, can, that we can get accomplished. And that, again, it goes to the customer that we're supporting. The, the faster, better, cheaper we can do things, the more, uh, the more power we give to the, to the warfighter. Um, so I think that ties in well. Uh, as we move into artificial intelligence and more of the machine learning, we have stood up a uh, chief data officer in uh, DLA, and we're looking to bring on data science, scientists and data analysts to fill that gap that we've got currently in some of our uh, workforce. Uh, and, and we're very lucky, I think, in DLA that our business users are already very excited about this. Our financial, financial operations folks uh, are looking at, at robotic process automation for how they can do what-if analysis, uh, how they can take the thousands of transactions that they do every day and automate either the full process or a portion of the process so that the human analyst only has to look at the anomalies. They only have mm -hmm. to look at the, the unusual things that fall outside of the par parameters that are already programmed into the bot. Yeah, so for the uh, financial people, this is the best thing since pivot tables. Exactly. <laughs> In many ways. And um, something earlier you said, too, uh, as people move up the food chain in their knowledge of this, it seems to, be, it seems to me that uh, what you're saying is that people that are doing a repetitive task and they are given a way or they devise their own way to automate it, they could become experts in that process of automating tasks and finding applications for this and kind of pulling themselves up the learning ladder. Absolutely. I think it's a technology that so long as you can understand, say, an if-then-else statement, you can probably work through robotic process automation. That's something I guess we've seen in successive generations of automation of whatever the task might be. Someone takes on learning the tools and they leave their original area of expertise and become experts in that automation using those tools, yeah. which is a whole new career for people, which sounds pretty exciting. Robin? So I think from a workforce standpoint, I think, you know, when I was thinking about the, the topic of our discussion today, right? I have more and more examples of how we can use AI or we can use more data science techniques to drive the agency's mission forward. But I think one example that I can think about where it's not a full robotic process automation, but it has some components to it because one of the challenges we have is we have to look for specific research articles 
before we can go and create a regulation right so there are scientists trying to understand what are the different studies done on a specific uh, let's say toxin across the different landscape of uh, scientific articles and their challenge is they are limited by the amount of time they can read the article to get to the material right so it's not a it's not a robotic process automation but it's not a full AI either because what we have to do is we have to build a process where we can extract the data from that unstructured data and then establish a process where the the the, the model can go in and grab the data from the or look at the scientific paper and say well, this paper is actually valuable for you this paper is not valuable for you so I think we are seeing mm -hmm. I you know I am working down from the class 3 to class 1 in, 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 in my case because I am seeing more and more application in the agency for using you know to, to your point class 3 based uh, methods because agency is traditionally more scientific right so we have they were not known as data scientists but you know in the in the modern language they are data scientists so we have a lot of PhDs scientific community who are really smart so I what I'm doing is I'm giving them the new tools and showing them that you have a new way to do the same process that you're doing by bringing in AI or machine learning algorithms to your processes so that is where I am seeing more and more adoption within the EPA so workforce wise what we are doing is making sure that there is enough training materials and enough we I have my team has established a community of practice so we have approximately 2,000 practitioners or 2,000 sorry 250 practitioners comes to the community of practice and we talk about how we are looking at AI and machine learning to do some of their works and how they are improving it so what I am seeing is that community is actually training the agency to become more um, data science aware right mm -hmm. so you know under the current conditions we have limitations on how much we can hire from the outside then what we are doing is we are looking up to the external vendors we have like KPMG or Deloitte or SAIC to find out you know what is your data science practice going to look like and can we leverage your skill sets to solve a problem so that's the current strategy that we have at the agency because that seems to be easy rather than going through the whole process of hiring somebody so how do we retain our work retrain our workforce to become more data science aware and how do we look outside to our partners to see you know what kind of capabilities you can bring into the table so that we can successfully solve sure. the mission so that's that's where our current strategy for EPA is yeah and Robin what uh, I mean excuse me Jeff what Robin mentioned sounded almost like the process of discovery in that example where here's all the articles that could possibly be relevant just like lawyers get truckloads of materials when and so what's really in there it strikes me that's something that is relevant also in the intelligence community and who can solve that for you? Right, so we're actually uh, launching a new program titled Better, which is exactly about text analytics and trying to sift through a large quantity of documents for an analyst and present to them information that is in their domain that they're caring about, but also finding related topics that maybe they hadn't previously considered. So that's definitely a issue within the intelligence community that we're pushing on. But the discovery process uh, actually works on an even larger scale when it comes to innovation within some office, which is we, we've heard about that there are all these opportunities to uh, bring in automation and that if you can bring the data scientists in and they can talk to the domain experts then they can find uh, magic opportunities that will greatly yield labor productivity and then we can all be working on important things, right? This is all good and it's all true. However, it's only true if you actually have the data or IT processes uh, present in order to build those capabilities, right? And it has I've seen time and time again where the data scientist understands the domain and says, yes, we could actually do this on the basis of some conversation with the domain experts, be that the accountants or the, the acquisitions folks or whatnot. But the issue is that the uh, paperwork and the IT is set up wrong, right? So for example, if you're doing things literally on paper, then you are very unlikely to be able to automate that process, right? If you're doing things in Word documents, then it's tricky, right? If you're doing things even in Excel, if it's based on some template in which there's color coding that the human is, is paying attention to, right? And that's how they know where the right uh, number should go. Then you're gonna have issues. So there's really a sort of base layer of just IT capabilities, which we've heard from Kirk and others uh, about. And you need to put those in place sort of in anticipation of 
possible solutions that you don't know what they are yet. Because you don't want to end up in a scenario where we say, yes, we can make a widget for you that will automate this process and you'll get you know, half your time back. But we will need to stand up this whole big sure, IT system yeah. because then it becomes a really big cost for this one specific gain. Instead, you want to have processes that amen, uh, are amenable to automation so that when you later identify automation opportunities, you're able to actually use them. Okay, and Kirk, before we break, I wanted to get in one more question to you about the workforce situation. Look, again, looking across government and looking at this industry, first we had coders, and then we had cybersecurity people. Right. Sounds like intelligent automation and the many sub-technologies under that is the next draw for, for right. people. Well, I wanted to pull the thread on, on, on Linda's point around the workforce and doing higher value activities. You know, we're, frankly, and, and I think this is true everywhere, but especially in, in this DC metro area, I think there is a talent shortage across the board. And, and you know, just like just like government, private sector struggles to get some of those 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 really smart people in, on board, um, because when when they come on board, the, the younger folks don't want to do the mundane. They don't want to do the repetitive, and so we're actually seeing intelligent automation as a way to increase employee morale. But to also attract and retain this talent, uh, because the last thing you want to do is take someone that's studied data science or machine learning or automation or whatever ha you know an IT uh, bachelor's degree at a, at a very prestigious organization, come to a, a, a firm or an organization or an agency and say, okay, I need you to reconcile those two spreadsheets. They don't want to do that. They're going to sit there for maybe a year and leave. And, and so, the idea of, of of retooling the workforce is is definitely a part of this because, again, what we're finding is folks want to do those really cool things in the agency. They want to take that next step in their, in their, in their career path and, and in their technical um, knowledge. So, so to, to us, even with our internal automation that we're doing at KPMG, because we are drinking our own Kool-Aid, we are automating our processes as well, we're putting some of our really smart people on those automation opportunities to, to, because they, they really want to take a bite out of this apple. So I think to me, it's it's dealing with stakeholder engagement and increasing employee morale and 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 dealing with backlogs, but it's also recruitment and retention of the workforce in many cases. So it's exciting, and, and we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of really neat things in, in the workforce aspect. All right. On that note, we'll take a short break. Uh, my guests today are Linda Williams, Deputy Director for Strategic Technology and Investment at the Defense Logistics Agency. Kirk Everson is Managing Director of the Federal Advisory Practice at KPMG, and Dr. Jeff Alston. Program Manager at the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Activity. Robin Tottengall is Chief Data Scientist at the EPA. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. This panel discussion is Intelligent Automation in Government, from Chatbots to Robots to AI, sponsored by KPMG, here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Innovation. Everyone says it. At KPMG, we know actions speak louder than words. For over 100 years, KPMG has helped federal agencies adapt to changing times with innovative approaches. Today, we're helping agencies advance in areas like cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, blockchain, cognitive analytics, and secure cloud. Let our past experience help propel your future forward more quickly and with greater agility and efficiency. Become future ready with KPMG. Visit futureadygovernment.com. Welcome back. This panel discussion is Intelligent Automation in Government, from chatbots to robots to AI, sponsored by KPMG, here on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. My guests today are Dr. Jeff Allstott, Program Manager at the Intelligence Advanced Research Project Activity. Robin Tottengall is Chief Data Scientist at the EPA. Linda Williams is Deputy Director for Strategic Technology and Investments at the Defense Logistics Agency. And Kirk Everson is Managing Director of the Federal Advisory Practice at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And uh, Linda, we're going to start again with you in this segment. Let's talk about some of the issues of actually getting this technology, which are acquisition and buying models. And there's also the issue of making sure that they have the cybersecurity that is requisite for government systems, and also how they become systems of record or attain authority to operate. But you have an, an interesting model for testing them out. Let's start there. 
Well, depending on the technology we're talking about, it kind of runs the gamut of what our uh, acquisition strategy is. For the robotic process automation, uh, those products are really already established in industry, so we can go out and buy those as a COTS product. That's that's not terribly difficult. They even offer trial licenses, and that's how we've gotten started, and, and that's how I would recommend any agency start to take a look at it, is to try those uh, trial licenses, see what they can do, and then move on. And that's the point that we're at now. We've had several successful proofs of concept and we're going to uh, to put out uh, a buy for a small portion a small number of these RPA licenses uh, and then initially our, our essentially our next step is that pilot where we're going to automate a dozen two dozen different processes and then grow from there as we learn the technology because although the technology is established in the commercial sector it's new for the Department of Defense yeah. there's very few organizations that are that are really leveraging this anywhere near the capabilities that it can provide. Um, for the other technologies, especially for artificial intelligence, we're still working on that through our R&D efforts. Uh, we have an R&D shop in, uh, in DLA that takes a look at artificial intelligence and, and what types of tools and what types of uh, information systems we need to provide that tool to the, uh, to the data scientists and to our workforce uh, writ large. Um, so, as I said, it just kind of depends on what what gamut. The chatbots kind of fall in the middle. Mm -hmm. uh, the chatbots are are bots, but they're more with a little bit machine learning, a little bit of more capability uh, to provide logical answers. And for those chatbots, just as a detailed question, are you looking at simply typed input and, and uh, output, or are you looking at, say, voice and natural language processing? Initially, it's the type to the chatbot that you would get if you go to Best Buy or something like mm -hmm. that. You're typing in a question and they're coming back with responses. Now, from a from a security aspect, each of those uh, we're we have adopted a cloud-first mentality, so we try not to host our own our own systems or our own tools. Uh, so, what we're looking for is taking those technologies, hosting them in the cloud, and of course, they will then inherit the controls that are established within that cloud environment. So, that helps get us to that ATO a lot quicker. Um, one of the benefits of I, I come from the IT organization, our CIO is already aware of these technologies, she supports innovation, uh, so she's already very in touch with what we're doing and what the considerations are for her to, to issue an ATO to allow us to, to operate in production environments. And just out of curiosity, all of the armed services have their own logistics functions. Is there any area of commonality that you might be able to share with them? I think the tools are, are very well positioned to share across the services. Uh, we all have our different data environments, our different data lakes, uh, so there's there's some differences there, but as we've seen some of the, uh, the reforms with cloud and the cloud initiatives, uh, they're looking at trying to aggregate a lot of that data, and I think there will be a, a, a huge benefit there that we can use the same tools, look at the same data, and get the same answer. Right, yeah, so I guess then the challenge for that becomes some of the some of the data is in very old systems that are tied to, you know, specific instruction sets. You have to extract it out of there so the data is usable by these new systems. Right, and I think that's another area that the bots can be leveraged. If you wanted to share data between systems, what you used to do is you'd, you'd build point-to-point -point or system-to-systems -systems interfaces, and that's costly and it takes time and you have to have permission from everybody to do so. With RPA, you can actually program a bot to go into a system, pull that data out, and bring it over to another system so that you've got it all in one place. Yeah, talk about automation of a routine task that uh, is important but nobody wants to do by hand. Okay. Uh, Robin, comments on that getting to the OTA and all this intermediary steps that you need to have. So I was thinking about this uh, from an inverse viewpoint, right? Because what at least, I mean, as I was saying, that I, I, I can think of more and more of AI being the most prominent use case that I'm seeing at EPA. So what we are doing there is, and as, as you, Linda, you are saying that, we are also going with the idea of cloud first because we don't want to build some of these capabilities on-premise on because on-premise infrastructure is not built for it because we need a cloud-based infrastructure because it needs to be scalable, it needs to be elastic, and also we are seeing that some of these problems that we want to solve actually requires data set from other agencies too. So I think being at the cloud will help us to get access to these systems 
or these data sets much more easily so Maybe that from state and local government state and local government nasa nova you name it so any agency i mean even we have worked with the dhs to get some of our data sets so that we can look at some of these regulatory or enforcement actions mm -hmm. so we are seeing by being in the cloud that help us sharing of data with respect to other agencies or getting data from other agencies so cloud first is one of the strategies then another one is being at the cloud and you know this is not a cloud meeting but on the cloud will help us to use the FedRAMP as one of the ways in which we can get to the ATO faster because mm -hmm. what we are doing is we are looking up to the industry to say that we want to use this technology and if you have the FedRAMP already approved at a level then it is easy for us to bring into the in, in, uh, organization. So we are working with good partners or partners that we are interested in say, hey, go and make sure that you have these platforms fed ramp so that we don't have to go through the whole ATO process to get the system into production. And also we are working with CSPs like Amazon, Microsoft, or IBM, you name it, Google, to find out where they are in scope when it comes to building some of these platforms into, into FedRAMP. So that will help us make sure that we can get to the production faster. Then, my strategy has been, I have told my team that we can establish a ATT so that we don't have to wait for the systems to become um, FedRAMPed for us to do the experiment. So that is where we are doing all these experiments at the, point, at, the, at the moment. And now, the next thing is that will feed into the whole acquisition strategy, because if we are going to cloud, we have to think about a different acquisition strategy, as opposed to, as Linda was saying, if it's a quartz product, I was thinking if it's on IT70 in the GSS schedule, we can go and directly buy from them, right? So that is a strategy that we are looking at. Where is actually, what kind of tools and techniques that the agency actually requires? And we are trying to be smart to put it in the cloud, so that we can understand from there, what is the acquisition strategy that we need to have? Is it going to go through the GSA IT70, or is it going to be our own acquisition vehicle so that we can have that flexibility? So that's basically how we are tying up, operationalizing these, uh, these capabilities within the agency all the way to acquiring it. All right, so interesting pair of strategies that we've heard, and I guess one of the big overlooked facts is how many application vendors are using FedRAMP to get themselves into the cloud, not just the cloud hardware provisioners, you know, so the FedRAMP is pretty widely applied that way. Uh, Jeff, you've got big security concerns in IARPA, I'm guessing. Couple. Uh, so, as had been mentioned, all of the current automation techniques that we're talking about sit on top of cyber, and so cybersecurity hasn't gone away, right? We are fortunately in a much better position than we were in the 70s and 80s where high schoolers could combat big companies or governments using very simple techniques, right? Just Whistling because. into the telephone properly. Exactly. Uh, so we're now in a better situation than that. Cybersecurity is not solved by any means, but we have a lot of in society and in our organizations, sort of cultural knowledge and processes on, on how to address cybersecurity. So this is good. With automation techniques, be that AI or, or other more simpler things, there's going to be additional security concerns about adversaries getting into your automation process and, and incentivizing it or nudging it to start running amok. However, even outside of adversaries deliberately causing problems, there's just the automation system being a problem in and of itself, right? You mentioned at the very beginning about uh, how we had the first transistors for instances of automation, but I say it goes much further back than yeah, that when we had windmills or uh, whatnot. So you have a big stone thing grinding away at corn or wheat, right? That is a great automation process that saves a lot of labor. But it's also a big dangerous thing whirling about, right? And so if you didn't have literal guardrails around it, there's the opportunities for, for havoc. And so when we think about our automation systems, we need to be very thoughtful about what they are allowed to do and not allowed to do and finding ways to prove or restrict them to those those limits. But also we need to think about what's this gonna do if this breaks? How will it break? Because there will be instances of them breaking and we want our organizations to be robust to it, right? So in some ways that will be safety concerns, but there's also going to be things about our operational concerns. So if we automate this thing away and then no one in the building sure. knows how to do it anymore and it breaks, what happens? So these are things that we need to be 
considering as we're standing up these yeah, automation the systems. Of knowledge management, I guess, in some sense. And uh, Kirk, why don't we wind up with you? Give us some advice for, you know, again, looking across government as you have mm -hmm. pretty deeply. What's the best way to slide into this very important new area of automation and modernization? Sure. I think, uh, I think from an acquisition perspective, um, and we said this in the beginning of our discussion, think about your outcomes, right? Don't try to, you know, say we need to do this with this tool and this with this tool and this with this tool. Focus on what you're trying to do. Focus on a, an objective that you as an agency are trying to accomplish. And don't get so caught up in the technology. You know, al allow the private sector or the vendor community to say, well, based upon what you're asking for, I think these solutions would be the right fit for you. Obviously, you have to take into consideration some of the security concerns around uh, cloud computing and, and on-prem instantiation. But, but I would say from an acquisition perspective, think about the objective measures that you're trying to meet and think about the timelines that you're trying to meet them in and then allow for some discussion as far as what that solution looks like. So, uh, but I think it also depends on the type of capability that, that you want to instantiate. Um, so with, with, with class one, with RPA, most of the time that's going to be an on-prem instantiation. So as Linda mentioned, you're going to be doing essentially a license buy uh, through the vendor and then acquiring services typically through another contract uh, through kind of a system integrator type, type mentality. So kind of two separate uh, acquisition processes there. However, as you move up uh, the stack um, you know, in, into class three artificial intelligence, that's more of a cloud-based solution because in order for these algorithms to work, in order for these data sets to be affected, you really have to have that compute in the cloud. Uh, and so then you're not dealing with licenses anymore, you're dealing with APIs or application programming interfaces. And so that's not necessarily you know, f you know, two or three or 500 licenses, that's what we call by the drink. So every time you call that API, there's a you know a flat fraction of a cent or a couple cents that you're going to have to. So it's a different way to and buy. A lot reporting back on it too. It, well, right, right, yeah, yeah. You want to make sure that you have the measures in place to accurately report the usage. But so so again, you know, I say all that because again, what's your objective? What are you trying to accomplish with these tools and technologies? If it's automation of a routine and mundane process, well, you don't need AI. You don't need a cloud for that. If you don't really have that in your agency, you can start small and start to automate some of those on-prem processes through integration at that presentation layer, as Linda mentioned. Uh, but if you have really hard data sets similar to what you're doing in the intelligence community and EPA, you might need a cloud acquisition strategy as well. All right, great advice. And I want to thank all of today's guests for a really fabulous and a detailed discussion. They are Dr. Jeff Alstott, Program Manager at the Intelligence Advanced Research Projects Agency. Robin Tottengall is the Chief Data Scientist at the EPA. Linda Williams, Deputy Director for Strategic Technology and Investment at the Defense Logistics Agency. And Kirk Everson, Managing Director of the Federal Advisory Practice at KPMG. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin, and you're listening to Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com. Use the search term KPMG. Thank you for listening to the Intelligent Automation in Government, from chatbots to robots to AI panel, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com slash KPMG.